Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. Fun last week I got to uh, go and, and preach for one of our partner churches in, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it's Adventure Church. Pastor Kyle Hammond is the pastor there. So I got to go and just share with them last week. And um, it was fun to be with them and just see what God is doing there because God's doing some incredible things. The church is only about 18 months old and they consistently run in the in three to 400 people now. And uh, they just started. And so it's, it's, it's really exciting to see that this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg for what God wants to do there. And when he was introducing me to come up and speak, he said, hey, you know, from the very start, we've had a couple churches that have kind of given us some money here and there, but he said, there's only been one church that's partnered with us on a monthly basis, continually sowing seed and blessing us. And he said, it's been the summit. And, and I didn't realize that. And I just was filled with, filled with such a sense of pride that, that we, because of the generosity of this church, we're able to help fund ministries, not just here in Indiana, but all over the United States and all over our world. And so I just want to say thank you for your generosity. Because you give to the summit, uh, we're seeing incredible things happen. So I just appreciate you so much. I'm so proud of this church and what God's doing here. Um, and so I, I loved being there last week, but I love being back with you today. Uh, let me share a couple things with you before we jump into our message today. And we are starting a new series today, and I'm excited about it. It's called Margin, and I'll jump into that in just a moment. A um, couple things. There's a table out in our lobby for Summer XP. If you've got kids or grandkids or there's kids in your neighborhood, um, just pick them up. You, their parents won't care, I'm sure. And just bring them to Summer XP. You can get them registered out in the lobby. It's June 21st through the 26th. That's a Sunday through Friday. And so we would love for them to be a part. And today's the last day they can register and still get a t-shirt. So if you're interested, uh, stop by there, get some information, sign up today before we go. Also, there's another table out in the lobby that we've got a, a summer session for some of our small groups. And most of our small groups are closed. If they're continuing through the summer, uh, they, they can't add any more people. But we've got a few that are opened up for the summer. And if you're interested in connecting with a small group, we'd love for you to connect there. This is a great way to build relationships. Um, because typically when I talk to people in the church and they say, uh, man, it's so hard to get to know people in our church. I will ask them, are you serving anywhere? Well, no. Are you in a small group? Well, no. Of course it's hard to connect in our church. If you're not trying to connect, it makes it really difficult. And so I would really encourage you, if you want to connect with people, build relationships, a really great way to do that is through our small group ministry. And that is our means for discipleship in the church. If you want to grow in your faith and your relationship with God, you want to grow in relationship with others, get plugged into a small group. There are some small groups available, including I know my wife is leading uh, a Bible study this summer. So ladies, if you're interested in women's Bible study, it's fantastic. Uh, not just because it's my wife. Well, partially because of my wife, but she's really good too. So she'll do a great job. Get signed up for that. Um, some of you recognize this. Uh, it may, may be not as bad for the second service coming in as it is for the first service getting out, but I think it's pretty evident as our church has grown, we are out of space in our parking lot. And it makes it tough to get in and out of uh, of the property at times. And so I just want you to know two things. Number one, we recognize that. We see that it's a problem and we're working to fix it. In fact, um, last year, last summer, we purchased the piece of property right here next to our entrance. And we are working right now with engineers to, uh, to make our parking lot bigger and make it easier for you to get in and out of our parking lot. And so by the end of the summer, we're going to be adding about 140 parking spots to our existing parking that we already have, and we're gonna be making the traffic flow easier for people to get in and out of our parking lot. So I just want you to know, I appreciate your patience with us. I appreciate you um, 
you, your willingness to wait to get out of our parking lot and wait to get in at times. I told the first service, there are people that won't go to Steelers game because they have to wait to get in and out. But, but uh, thank you for being willing to wait at times to get in and out of the parking lot. So I appreciate that. And just know, help is on the way. We're working to fix that even right now. Um, if you've got questions about that too, I'd be happy to answer questions or help you out or you know, tell you whatever you need to know about that. Uh, but I'm excited about that. And like I said, you'll be seeing work beginning in the next few weeks on that. Uh, can I brag on our staff just a little bit? Is that okay? You're like, no, please, just go ahead. Um, a couple weeks ago, I wasn't here this last Sunday, so I couldn't do this on Sunday, but a week ago Wednesday in our youth service, uh, they had a luau out in the back pavilion. And that does not sound terribly spiritual in and of itself, but, um, but every six weeks they do just a big night and they invite a lot of people and they do something fun. And, and so, uh, oh, there's some pictures. And so they just had a great night and they had a roasted pig. And um, it was crazy because the guys were almost scared of the pig a little bit, but the girls, there were a couple of girls that were like picking up the head of the pig and like taking pictures with it. It was, <laughs> it was disturbing. It was, we need to get her into counseling immediately. Um, but, uh, but it was just, it was a great night. But they had 97 students show up for that service that night. And it was just a great turnout. And, uh, and so, I, so I'm proud. I'm proud of what our youth ministry is doing. Uh, Eli Mack is doing a great job. His team, his leaders are doing a great job back there. And we're not just attracting numbers, but we're seeing souls saved. We're seeing people changed. And... Um, And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, all the stuff we do is important and it's fun. And, but the thing that's most important is people's lives and lives being changed and seeing people made different for the cause of Jesus Christ. That is why we do everything we do. That is what it is all about. Um, do, we, do we want to see a lot of people come to church? Absolutely, because if a lot of people come to church, a lot of people are going to hear about Jesus, and we're going to see more people saved. So we want to see a lot of people show up. And almost 100 kids, I told Eli, I said, make sure... I said, make sure your leaders know that this is the new norm. Like, they should be getting used to this. This isn't an outlier that they should be getting used to. Lots of kids coming, lots of kids getting saved. So I'm excited about what they're doing. Um, and Eli and his team are doing a great job. If you see one of the youth leaders, give them a big hug and tell them you appreciate them. They work really hard with your students. So yeah, give them a round of applause. And last week, uh, I was able to be gone because we have a great staff, and Todd was here, and Todd preached. If you weren't here, you can go listen to the message. It was a great word, and I appreciate Todd uh, being here. And I want you to know something. Todd is not a fill-in or a sub or anything like that. Todd's part of our team, and so when, when we have p people from our staff that are sharing the word, it's not just that they're subbing so I can be gone. Uh, they are part of our team, and man, they do a great job, and I appreciate the, the word Todd brought this last Sunday. Uh, but I also want you to know, today's Todd's birthday. So he turns 47 today. So, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Todd, Todd turns 41. So um, he's almost as old as Pastor Dick now. So not quite, but almost. <laughs> Pastor Dick's 43, so almost. Um, and then I just want to tell you real quickly, um, some of you remember if, uh, back when we had Daryl Strawberry, we showed a video that day um, I cried in the first service. I'm, like, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to nail it in the second service. Um, we showed a video that day uh, of a girl and just her story. She was an IUP student graduating. She's a softball player. Great girl. She's been part of our church for years. But Steph McCoy shared her story that day in church. 
And um, one of the things she shared in her testimony, in her story, was that she was going to go to PT school. And she was going to go to St. Francis, uh, St. Francis, St. Vincent, St. Gregory, whatever it is, a saint school in Ebensburg. And she was excited because she was going to be able to stay connected to the summit. So after that, she came to Kim and I and said, I don't know if I'm going to go to PT school. I said, well, how come? And she said, I think I might be called to ministry. I said, really? And she said, yeah. And so we said, well, let's just talk about it. Let's just pray about it. Let's just see. And inside, I was like, yes, like because I could see a calling on her life, but I wasn't going to push or anything like that. So we prayed with her, and she came back later and said, okay, I'm definitely not going to PT school. I feel like God's calling me, you know, maybe to missions. I'm not really sure. I don't feel like I'm supposed to sell everything and move to, like, Cambodia, but I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. And so we just prayed with her, and, and so I went to the board and said, hey, let's hire this girl, and she can help us with some areas, but then um, in time, as we raise her up, she's going to be able to lead our missions program and take teams overseas and, and coordinate all those things, because that's what her heart really is. And so... I wasn't crying, I just had to burp. I'm good now, though. <clears throat> Breakfast burrito. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we brought Steph on. She started this last week, and she's helping us in the areas of small groups and missions. And as we develop our missions program more and more, um, she's going to be more of an integral part of that. And um, so in the years to come, over the next few years, we're going to be adding mission trips, foreign and stateside mission trips. And, and our hope is that we're going to have a foreign mission trip every single month of the year. So every month throughout the year, we're going to be sending people throughout the world to minister uh, for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so Steph's going to be helping us with that. I'm excited about that. So Steph's here on the front row. If you don't know her, you need to get to know her. She'll be around. She'll be in the lobby. And yeah, give her a round of applause. So if you see her and she is approaching you, she's not hitting on you. She just is greeting you because she's friendly and she's part of our staff. Although she might be hitting on you. I'm not really sure. If you're single, I'm just kidding. She's definitely not. Now Steph is ready to quit. Um, so today we're starting a new series. I, and by the way, I love all of our staff. We've got an incredible team and I'm so grateful for the, the staff we have, the volunteers, the leaders. God has put together an incredible team and I'm just grateful that I get to be part of it. So um, make sure you give a staff member a big hug. Um, today we're starting a new series called Margin. And, um, and I think uh, it might be a little bit confusing, but I think when I talk to people in our church, uh, I hear common themes and I hear common statements. People say things like, uh, I don't feel like I have enough time. There are not enough minutes in the day. Uh, I feel overwhelmed. I feel stressed out. I wish I had more time for my family. I, I wish I had more money coming in. There's not. There's more week le or more month left at the end of the paycheck than there is money. Does that make sense? And there's people that they just feel stressed out in a number of areas in their lives, and they feel like if I just had a little more money, if I had a little more time, if I just had a little more space in my life, my life would be better. And the truth is, what we're looking for is margin. Um, when you look at businesses, there's a term, it's gross profit margin. Basically, what gross profit margin is, it's the difference between revenue and expenses. So uh, when a company brings money in, they also have expenses. And the difference between those two numbers is their margin. It's the amount of breathing room they have, if, if, you, if you will. And a company that has more gross revenue margin has more room to uh, take chances on things. They have more room to, to, to take a break and to breathe and just go, okay, hey, we don't have to worry about every single decision. Because when you have a very narrow margin, one bad decision can sink a company. And I think we understand this in terms of our finances because a lot of people live our lives financially that way, that we live so close, so razor close to the edge that one bad decision will end us financially. 
So today we're going to be looking um, at margin, and we're going to be looking specifically at margin in our finances. So um, I'm just warning you, brace yourself right now, okay? We're going to make it through this, and it's not going to be all bad, I promise. Um, I, I want to start with a story. I heard a story this last week of um, these two guys, they were hunting, they were walking through the woods, and they came to this little clearing in the woods, and they see this huge pit, this gigantic hole, and they look down in the hole, and you can't even see the bottom. So one of the guys says, hey, let, let's see how deep it is. Throw a stick in. So one of the other guys, he gets a stick and he throws a stick in the pit. And they listen. Nothing. Whoa, that's pretty deep. Here, get a rock. So they get a rock, a pretty good-sized rock, and they throw it in. And this is typical guys. Girls wouldn't do this. They'd just go, ooh, a hole, and they'd walk around, right? But guys, they're like, let's see how deep this thing is. So they throw a rock in, and they listen. Nothing. Oh, my gosh. Well, go find something heavier. So this guy goes off, and he goes into the woods, and he comes back a moment later, and he's carrying an anvil. Where did you get an anvil? He said, well, it's just sitting over here. And he said, well, okay, throw it in. So he heaves it over the edge. And it disappears into the darkness. And they listen, listen, nothing. And they look at each other in amazement. And all of a sudden, they hear this crashing sound in the trees behind them. And they turn and look. And there's a goat coming at them full speed, just ears blazing. It is flying at them as fast as it can. And they get out of the way just in time for the goat to dive into the hole. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. All of a sudden, they hear from the woods, somebody screaming. This old man comes out of the woods, and he's screaming, Betsy, Betsy. And he said, guys, have you, you seen my goat, Betsy? They go, well, yeah, she just came running through here going 100 miles an hour. She dove right in the hole. And he said, well, that's impossible. I had her chained to an anvil. <laughs> now, some of you will get that all the way home. It'll be like, oh, but the truth is, for most of us, finances can be an anvil in our lives. If we are not careful, our finances can take us to depths that we can't even imagine if we're not careful. It can be an anvil around our neck. It can be a prison for us if we're not careful. And so God, one thing we have to understand today is God wants us to have margin in our financial life. God cares about you desperately. He doesn't just care about your soul and want you to go to heaven someday, but he cares about you. And the truth is, finances are a big deal. A lot of churches don't talk about finances because we don't want to offend anyone. But the truth is, Jesus talked about finances more than any other topic in scripture. He talked about finances and possessions more than anything, including love and joy and peace and all the big ones. Why? Because he knew it was a big deal to us. He knew that, that our possessions and the, the material things of this world can be a, an impediment to, to being everything God wants us to be. So he talked about these things a lot. So we have to take a, a really honest look at finances because God wants us to have margin in our finances. Because when we do, we have breathing room. We have the ability to take some risks and do some things and try different things. But when we are living on the razor's edge, it makes it really, really hard for us to live generously. Now, I want to give you this disclaimer too. This is not about the church getting money from you at all. This is about you living in freedom financially. That's what I want for you more than anything else. You know what? God is blessing our church incredibly. God's doing great things here financially. So I don't have to beg for your money. I'm grateful that I don't have to beg for your money. Okay, so that's not what this is about. This is about you living in freedom financially so that God can use you in every aspect of your life. Because generosity is not just about your money. Generosity is about how we live our lives. So there's three mindsets or three ideas that, that we can take from people that have margin in their finances. And I want us to look at a couple of these this morning. The first one is 
The understanding that all I have comes from God. The understanding that everything we have in our life, it originates with our Heavenly Father. Um, there, there was a gentleman in our first service that, that does woodworking. He, he creates these wooden bowls, and they're beautiful. They're gorgeous. But one of the things we have to understand is that Wilbur takes wood, and he fashions bowls out of that wood. He does not create the wood. Does that make sense? He takes something that's already existing and makes something from it. So what does he do? He takes something and makes something of it. And this is what any of us do. Some of us think we are self-made men, that I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. But the truth is, you took something that was already in existence and you made something from it. God gave you strength. He gave you talent. He gave you insight in business. Everything you have that makes you successful today, God gave you. It is not because you are so good that God was like, I gotta bless this guy. It's crazy because he is so talented. No, no. Your talent originated with our heavenly father. Just like Wilbur didn't create wood from nothing. He didn't go, and wood, and all of a sudden there was wood, right? That's impossible. It originated somewhere, but it wasn't with him. It originated with our heavenly father. We have to understand that everything in our lives begins with God. Every good thing in our life is because God is good. Back in January, I preached a series uh, called Generous, and we talked about generosity. And one of the things we went through over and over, especially the first week, was that our God is an incredibly generous God. That everything in our lives that we enjoy that's good is because God has given it to us. It is not because we deserve it or because we're so good looking, because we're so talented. It's because God is good. So everything in our lives is because God is good. There's a, a, a really a crazy story in Genesis chapter 22. If you're new to church or you're new to Christianity or relationship with God, um, I, it's in Genesis 22. I won't tell the whole story, but you need to, you need to read it when you get some free time. Um, there's this guy named Abraham. And Abraham was an old guy, and God had given him this promise that he would have descendants that, that outnumbered the sand on the beach. That's a lot of descendants, right? You thought your family reunion was big. So God said, you're going to have more kids than you can possibly imagine. It's going to be crazy. Grandkids, great-grandkids. It's going to be amazing. And, God, and Abraham said, well, God, I'm old. He said, no worries. So he blessed him with a son in his old age. And then God said to him one day, he said, I want you to take your son up on the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. So God asked Abraham to sacrifice the vessel of his promise, the, the very thing that he'd been promised. God asked him to give that up. And Abraham is much more spiritual than I am because I probably would have argued with God and ration, rationalized it away and said, well, that can't be God's perfect plan for my life. And, you know, I would have done everything I could to avoid that. But what did Abraham do? He went up on the side of the mountain. He took his son with him. And literally the moment that he was about to take his son's life on the altar... God provided him with a sacrifice. And so at that point, Abraham realized that God is good, that, that God wasn't trying to get him to kill his son. God was trying to get Abraham to realize that God's provision is bigger than anything else in his life, that God is bigger than all of his problems. And so in that moment, Abraham confessed God as um, Jehovah Jireh. He said, God, you are Jehovah Jireh. And Jehovah Jireh means God provides. Or, this is, this is awesome, God sees and provides. So it's not just that God saw, uh, that God provided for Abraham, but God saw Abraham's need and provided exactly what he needed. 
And this is true in our lives as well. God sees you and he provides for you. And you go, well, Mel, I'm in a tough place. I got debt. I got this kind of, I got all these problems and God doesn't seem to be providing for me. And then I would ask you, do you have a house to live in? Probably. You might not, but you probably do. Do, do, you, do you have a vehicle to drive? Maybe not. But if you do, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world if you own a vehicle. So God has provided for us miraculously, but sometimes we don't always see it. Sometimes we, we complain about what we have instead of glorifying God for what he's given us. But I love the fact that God not only provides for us, but he sees our needs and provides for us. Now, if you're here today, if you're here today and you've been through some bad luck, I get that. I think all of us at some point or another have run into bad, bad circumstances, challenging circumstances in our finances. And so I, the last thing I want to do is heap condemnation on anyone today. But I do want us to, to address issues of debt in a very real way. Because the truth is most people in the United States are in debt because we just spend poorly. There are some people who have legitimate issues. They had medical issues that they couldn't take care of and, and got out of control. Um, they lost their job, some other turn of circumstance in your life. But by and large, a lot of people just don't live very frugally, don't very, live very wisely. So that, that gets me into our second part. The first mindset is that all I have comes from God. The second one is, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time here, I live joyfully within God's provision for my life. Now, there are a lot of us that will live within God's provision for our life, but we won't do it joyfully. We will say, God, you've given me this much, but I wish I had that much. I know you've given me a house, but I wish I had the better house. If you're a really good God, you'd give me the better car. My car doesn't even have four-wheel drive. Have you driven in Pennsylvania in winter, God? Come on now. Right? So we will live within our provision, but just barely, and we won't be joyful about it. But we live joyfully within God's provision for my life. Now, this is one of the problems. When we have an income in our life, that is kind of like boundary lines. You know, in sports, the boundary lines represent out of bounds. You don't go out of bounds because then you're out of play, right? It's a foul or it's, you, it's a problem when you go out of bounds. And in our finances, those boundary lines are, are what our income is. And so many of us ignore the boundary lines and say, I'm going to live however I want to live, regardless of what my income is. And when we do that, we shave that margin closer and closer and closer to where there is no freedom in our lives anymore. We are slaves to our finances. We're slaves to our consumerism. Now, I don't have to, I don't have to share these numbers with you because most of us in this room understand this very well. But let me read a few of these with you. Consumer debt grew from $160 per person in 1952. So just understand, in 1952, the, the consumer debt per person in the United States was $160 per person. And in, that, in the middle of 2014, it grew to $10,200 per person. So that means for me, my wife, my two kids, we each cumulatively would owe $10,200 per person. That's a lot of money for every man, woman, and child in the United States. Bankrate.com uh, studies showed that 76% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 22% of people in the same, the same study showed 22% of the people had less than $100 in savings to cover an emergency, and 46% had less than 800. Now listen to this. 
The Federal Reserve did a study that said 43% of American families spend more than they earn. So every single year, almost half of Americans spend more money than they bring in. And this is a problem. Not because I'm trying to get your money, but because when we live this way, we can't live in freedom and we can't live the way that God wants us to live. There is no margin in our life to do anything else. Have you ever asked or thought to yourself, I wish I had the money to help with that situation? You have a neighbor that's having financial problems and you said, I wish I could help them with that. I wish I didn't have to pay off this debt. I wish I didn't have to take care of this because if I didn't, I would help them. That's what margin does in our life. When we have margin, we're able to say, you know what? I can help them with that. And what an incredible blessing that is when we're able to live that way. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven. It says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. And this sounds like hyperbole, doesn't it? It sounds like just something the Bible says and you go, well, yes, I get it. The, the borrower is slave to the lender. But if you've ever borrowed money that you couldn't pay back, you understand that you are a slave to that lender. When the phone rings and you know it's a, a creditor calling you, and you don't wanna answer the phone because you know you can't pay the bill, it's collections calls. When a family member loans you money and you know you can't pay them back, you start avoiding them. <laughs> Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get sick before the family reunion because you don't want to see them at the family reunion because you know you owe them some money. What has happened? Your, your relationship has changed from a normal relationship to a slave and owner relationship. You are slave to the lender at that point. And there is no freedom there. There is no margin there. And that is not God's best for our lives. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20 says this, precious treasure and oils are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. This is what it says in the NIV. It says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. What, what this is saying is really simple. The foolish person devours everything they can. They consume everything they can. And the wise person will say, hey, you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna set some of this back. I don't need to consume everything that I bring in. It just doesn't make sense. Again, it's about building margin. And we're a nation of people who are more impressed by what we have consumed and what we own than by what we've produced or what we've accomplished. And I don't think that's what brings glory to God. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10 says this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And then the writer of Ecclesiastes says, this too is meaningless. So what's it saying? When our heart is toward money, we're never gonna be satisfied. Um, I think Pastor Todd, um, last, not this last weekend, the last time he preached before that, one of the things he shared was um, that, that God is the only God in our lives that gives us more than he takes. When we make wealth and we make money the center of what we're focused on and, and purposed on, it will take more than it gives. We will never be satisfied with that. There will never be a moment where we go, now I've got enough, I'm good. Because we will continually consume and consume and consume. And the writer of Ecclesiastes understood this. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 um, says this, and really this whole passage talks about uh, coveting and, and having, trying to have things we don't we don't deserve or that aren't ours, but I'm going to cut it down verse 13 through 15. This is Jesus talking and he's teaching. And it says in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
This is, again, Jesus talking. He said, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And this is what was going on in the situation. Jesus was teaching and this man said, hey, uh, my dad has died. And this is, I'm paraphrasing this. He said, my dad has died and my brother won't split the inheritance with me. Tell him to split the inheritance with me. And it sounds like a reasonable request, doesn't it? When you just look at it on the surface. But the truth is, in Hebrew law, the eldest child, the eldest born son, got two-thirds of the inheritance. And then the other third was given to the rest of the kids. Now, this doesn't sound like a great deal, unless you're the oldest, right? And you're like, all right, not bad. But this was the birthright as the oldest, of the oldest born son. And so what this, this man was saying to Jesus was, Jesus, I have an inheritance already, but it's not enough. Make him split it with me evenly. And what Jesus did was he recognized the covetous spirit this man had. Because what this man was saying is, make him give me something that's not mine. I want what's not mine. And that's what coveting is. It's wanting what is not ours. And Jesus recognized me. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. You got this thing all wrong. That's not even yours to have. Your life is more than just the things we accumulate and get. And he's trying to correct this guy. Aren't you thankful that, that the pastors and leaders of this church don't have the ability to, to like read your thoughts in your heart? <laughs> man, I would hate being around Jesus sometimes if he knew exactly what I was thinking. But he read this man's heart and his thoughts and he, he spoke to it. And he said, hey, you gotta get this covetous spirit out of your life. It's, it's, life is bigger than what you have. But at the time, this man was focused on what he didn't have. Hey, it's not fair. I want what I, I need to pay off some bills. I gotta buy some stuff. I need a powerboat, Jesus. They don't understand. I can't get it with this measly third. I need part of his money too. And Jesus said, it's not your money. Stop being covetous. See, discontent drives unhealthy spending habits. And advertisers understand making us discontented. They understand it. That's why every commercial you see will say things and, and portray a better life than what you've got. Have you ever noticed on commercials for um, any kind of alcohol, they never have ugly people or, or really overweight people? What do they do? They got the best looking people they can find. And they here, put this in your hand. Okay, now, now act like you, you know, you're having fun and the girls are waving their hair and, and they're all perfectly built. And the guys, they don't have six pack, the guys have like 12 packs, right? And I've, I've got like a keg. That's what I've got, okay? And so I look at that and you, you, what do you do? You compare yourself and you go, well, I don't know if my life is that good. Well, if, if I just drank that, if I just washed my hair with that shampoo, if I just drove that car, if I just purchased that item, maybe my life would be that good. Now, we don't say that, but there's something in us that says if we just had a little more, if we just did this, if we just bought that, then maybe my life would be better. And so what these advertisers are doing are creating discontent within us that, that drives our motive, that motivates us to do things. And so discontentment in our lives will motivate us to do things and say things. So these are some of the things that discontentment will say. Discontentment says, I don't have enough. Discontentment says, what I do have isn't nice enough or new enough or big enough or shiny enough. Discontentment says, I want what they have. Discontentment says, I deserve what they have. Discontentment says, I know I can't afford this, but I have to have it. 
Discontentment says, I worked hard to be able to buy nice things, so I will. Discontentment says, nobody else is going to take care of me but me. Discontentment says, once I get this, and just fill in the blank, this house, this car, this vacation, I will be happier. Discontentment says, I'm not asking for the world, I'm just asking for a little bit more. That's what discontentment is in our lives. And some of you here, you're like, this is the worst message I've ever heard in my life. I'm not having fun preaching it either. I'm just going to let you in on that secret, okay? But this is truth. It's hard, but it's still truth. And what happens when we have discontentment in our life is it eliminates margin for us to live in the freedom that God wants us to live. So how do we combat discontentment? Well, the, the one way we combat discontentment is through gratitude. This is what gratitude does. Gratitude says, God, I trust you. Gratitude says, what I have is enough. It might not be the shiniest or the newest or the biggest, but it's all I need. Gratitude says, I don't have to live in want. Gratitude says, I don't have to covet what others have. Gratitude says, I don't have to keep up with the Joneses, because guess what? The Joneses are broke. Gratitude says, God sees me, God cares for me, and God provides for me. Gratitude says, I know that happiness only comes from God. Gratitude says, I'm simply a steward of all the resources that God has given me. A few months ago, a while back, I preached a message on first, uh, the will of God. And I used the passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 through 18. I want to read that to you. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Sometimes we struggle with the will of God in our lives, but I've got good news. I know what the will of God is for you. Are you ready? He wants you to, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And the last part is so important. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstance. See, it's easy for us to say, God, I would be happy if I just had that. If I could just do this. If I just had enough for whatever it is. But the truth is, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be grateful for. Man, I've got an incredible family. I've got a wonderful wife who I've tricked into thinking I'm pretty cool. Like, I hope I can keep that up. I have this job. You people pay me to do this? It is a racket. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm blessed. There are things I could complain about, but I shouldn't because I'm blessed. I've got so much to be grateful for. And God's will for my life is that I give thanks in every circumstance and say, okay, you know what? My circumstances don't look great, but I still serve a good God. Man, you know what? Um, the circumstances of my life are not what I would pick if I was writing the script. Man, I have, a, I have a good God in my life, and I've got so much to be thankful for. Gratitude helps create margin in our lives. See, some of us think, maybe I'll just win the Powerball. Well, yeah, I've got some debt. Yeah, I, I've got, uh, you know, I've been paying on uh, a pair of jeans from college for the last 12 years on credit card. I, yes, I've got some of that kind of stuff. Uh, but maybe I'll just hit the Powerball and then it'll all be better. I got bad news for you. <laughs> a recent study, I want to make sure I, I name the right place. 
A recent study from the National Endowment for Financial Education said that 70% of people that win the lottery are broke within five years. Every dollar they won is gone in five years. Do you think those people are happy? Do you think those people are fulfilled? No. They're broken down and distressed. And they thought money is their answer. If I can just get more money, my life's going to be better. And you know what? Their life wasn't better. Their, their, their bank account looked better, but their life wasn't better. I love this quote. I, re- I read this from a former Powerball winner. He said, winning the lottery is like pouring miracle Grow on your character flaws. I've said this before. Money doesn't change us. Money only makes us more of what we already are. And it's true. If, if you're grumpy and hard to get along with and you're poor, guess what? If you hit the lotto, you're gonna be rich and grumpy and hard to get along with. If you're stingy and you don't have very much money in your bank account, guess what? When you have money, you're gonna be stingy and you're gonna have a bunch of money in your bank account. If, if you've got a difficult marriage and you don't have much money, guess what? The money's not gonna fix it. You're still gonna have a difficult marriage because you're still in the marriage, right? I know this is not fun stuff, but this is true. Money doesn't change us. It just makes us more of what we already are. This is what it says in James chapter four, verse three. James is, is, is writing to the church here and it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, some of us pray to God and we say, God, I pray that you'd bless me. And if you just bless me, then I'll start doing this and this and this and this. And God goes, no, you won't because you don't do any of that now. And so what we say is, God, if you'll bless me, then I'll start using it for your glory. And God knows if I bless you, you're just going to go blow it on stupid junk. Right? And so what we're asking is, God, be complicit in my sin. Because there are other things in my life that are more important than you. So I want you to bless me so I can devote more of my attention to the things that are more important than you. And God will not be complicit in our sin. He will not help us in that. Okay, good news. I'm on my last point. The last thing is, I honor God by living generously in his purpose for the world. Now, I just want to give you a statement here. I'm not going to ask you for money. Okay? What I'm going to ask you to do is to begin living generously. This has nothing to do with give to the church 10% or a percent, anything like that. I want you to begin living generously. I want you to live generously with every resource in your life, not just your money, but with your time, with your talent, with your emotions. One one of the most generous things that has happened to me recently is I got a card in the mail from a a lady in our church, and she took the time to write this handwritten card and just told me uh, how much she loved the church, how much she loved me and the staff and just what God is doing here, and it was such a blessing. And there was not a check in it, but she took the time to write out a card and just tell me, all the incredible things God's doing in her life. That took her taking time and the energy to invest herself emotionally into this card to send it. That was generous. She didn't have to do that, but she did. That was an act of generosity in my life. See, sometimes we look at that that definition at the beginning, the gross profit margin, the difference between what comes in and what goes out, and we go, well, Mel, how how can that mean financially? If we begin being generous, we give more, We're going to get more. Well, this is God's economy, and it works like that. And I don't understand it, but it works. 
It's crazy how many people talk to me after church on Sundays and they will say things like, you know what, we never tithed until we did this. And you know, we had this opportunity for a business and we decided to start tithing and it's crazy that God started blessing us financially. I can't, I don't understand it. This is not a get rich quick scheme, okay? This is not a, if you drop $10 in the offering, God's gonna send you a thousand this week. We don't operate like that, okay? That's televangelists and things like that. We don't do that. What I'm saying is God blesses us when we're faithful and obedient to what he's asking us to do. When we decide to operate generously, God will bless us. And it might not be a check, but it might be a healthy relationship. It might be an open door of opportunity. It might be a chance for you to, to, to reflect the love of Christ to somebody in a way that you didn't have before. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. There's something powerful that happens whenever we say, God, I wanna live generously in my life. God begins to open our world up. He begins to give us opportunity. He begins to open up doors that we never dreamed possible because we choose to live in an open-handed kind of way where we say, it's not about what is mine, it's about this is God's and I'm gonna live open-handedly. I love this quote, it's by Henry Drummond. He said this, he said, the most obvious lesson in Christ's teaching is that there is no happiness in having or getting anything, but only in giving. I love when we're able to bless ministries and churches and people in our church that are struggling. I love it. There's joy in that. Uh, I'm appreciative of our board giving our staff and, and me bonuses at Christmas and things like that. I'm appreciative of that. But do you know what gives me joy? When we can give away, when we can bless others. The getting, that's fine. We gotta pay our bills. We gotta do those. Kind of, I get that. There's joy that comes with living obediently and living generously in our lives. If you want to break the cycle in your life of no margin in your finances, begin to live generously. You go, how do I do that? I can't, I can't even afford to pay my bills. I get it. Begin to ask God, God, how can I live with an open hand? How can I live generously in a way that can glorify you? And I promise you, God will give you opportunities. God will open your eyes. God will open doors. God will help you do that if you choose to live generously and obediently to what he's asking you to do. Again, this is not a plea to get you to give to the church. Thank God I don't have to beg you guys to give to the church. What I'm asking you to do is step into the opportunity to be generous in our world because I promise you when you live generously, people will see that and it's gonna make a difference. People will want what you want because you live generously because it's not about what you can get but it's about what you can do and what you can give and how you can bless the world. People want to live that way. It makes, it, it makes you attractive. So let's live that way. Let's see what God will do when we say, God, I want to create margin in my finances. I want to give you everything. I, I want to live generously. God will bless you. I promise. Let's pray. Lord, I love you today. I'm so grateful that you love us. I'm so grateful that you have given everything to us, that you held nothing back from us. And that God, every good thing in our life is because you are good and you are generous. So God, I pray today you would help us live generously. Lord, help us live out our lives in a way that the story is clearly not about us, but it's about you. Lord, I pray today for, for those that are struggling financially, Lord, that are barely keeping their head above water, I pray your peace on them right now. I pray that you would provide for them supernaturally, financially, God, bless them. God, I pray that you would just 
minister in us, Lord, as a house, as a, as a people, God. Let us live with margin so that we can be quick to bless others, so that we can help others that are in need. God, let us model this for the world and what it means and what it looks like. God, I pray for those that are here that have been in just difficult circumstances, God. Lord, whether it's medical issues, Lord, whether it's a loss of job, loss of income, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray right now you just be their peace, God. Come alongside them and provide for them supernaturally, God. As they are faithful to you and obedient to you, God, I pray that you would just let them see your faithfulness at work in their lives. So God, I pray that you'd have your way with us over the next few moments in your name. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask, if you're here today, and, and this is not a typical kind of salvation message at all, but if you're here today and you say, you know what, I, Jesus is not the Lord of my life, but I want to make him Lord of my life. And I don't have a relationship with God, but I want to know God today. If that's you, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. So if that's you, would you just put your hand up in the air and say, pray for me, Mel. I want to know Jesus. I want to make him Lord of my life today, if that's you. Thank you over here on my left. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down right there on the aisle. I see you, buddy. Awesome. Over here on my right. I see you in the back. Thank you so much. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. Thank you. Up in the balcony. I see you up there. You can put your hand down, sir. Awesome. Just a few more seconds. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. I want to know Jesus. I want to make him Lord of my life. Thank you. You can put your hand down up in the balcony. Awesome. This is what I would like you to do. I want every person to thank you, ma'am. Over here on my left on the aisle. I see you. Awesome. I would like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, I would like you to just repeat this prayer after me. The Bible tells us that we owed a debt because of sin that we could never pay and that God sent his son Jesus to pay that debt for us so that we could know God and have eternal relationship with him. So he paid our debt. He paid the price for us so that we could know God. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Christ rose from the dead, then that we are saved. So I just want to ask you to say a very simple prayer after me. So everyone in the room, repeat this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I give my life to you. I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm turning away from my old life, my old habits, my old addictions, my old ways, and I'm turning to you today. I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give God a round of applause for that? Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.